Section 29 of La Samoire. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by David Lazarus. La Samoire by Emile Zola. Translated by Ernest A. Vizitelli. Chapter 7. Gervaise's Saint's Day fell on the 19th of June. On such occasions the Coupeau always made a grand display. They feasted till they were as round as balls, and their stomachs were filled for the rest of the week. There was a complete clear-out of all the money they had. The moment there were a few sous in the house, they went in gorging. They invented saints for those days, which the almanac had not provided with any, just for the sake of giving themselves a pretext for gormandizing. Virginie highly commended Gervaise for stuffing herself with all sorts of savoury dishes. When one has a husband who turns all he can lay hands on into drink, it's good to line one's stomach well, and not to let everything go off in liquids. Since the money would disappear anyway, surely it was better to pay it to the butcher. Gervaise used that excuse to justify overeating, saying it was Coupeau's fault if they could no longer save a sou. She had grown considerably fatter, and she limped more than before, because her leg, now swollen with fat, seemed to be getting gradually shorter. That year they talked about her saint's day a good month beforehand. They thought of dishes and smacked their lips in advance. All the shop had a confounded longing to junk it. They wanted a merry-making of the right sort, something out of the ordinary and highly successful. One does not have so many opportunities for enjoyment. What most troubled the laundress was to decide whom to invite. She wished to have twelve persons at table, no more, no less. She, her husband, Mother Coupeau, and Madame Larat already made four members of the family. She would also have the Gouget and the Poisson. Originally she had decided not to invite her workwomen, Madame Poutois and Clemence, so as not to make them too familiar, but as the projected feast was being constantly spoken of in their presence, and their mouths watered, she ended by telling them to come. Four and four, eight and two or ten, then, wishing particularly to have twelve, she became reconciled with the Loreleur, who for some time past had been hovering around her. At least it was agreed that the Loreleur should come to dinner, and that peace should be made with glasses in hand. You really shouldn't keep family quarrels going for ever. When the Bosch heard that a reconciliation was planned, they also sought to make up with Gervaise, and so they had to be invited to the dinner too. That would make fourteen, not counting the children. Never before had she given such a large dinner, and the thought frightened and excited her at the same time. The Saint's Day happened to fall on a Monday. It was a piece of luck. Gervaise counted on the Sunday afternoon to begin the cooking. On the Saturday, whilst the workwomen hurried with their work, there was a long discussion in the shop with the view of finally deciding upon what the feast should consist of. For three weeks past one thing alone had been chosen, a fat roast goose. There was a gluttonous look on every face whenever it was mentioned. The goose was even already bought. Mother Coupeau went and fetched it to let Clemence and Madame Poutois feel its weight, and they uttered all kinds of exclamations. It looked such an enormous bird with its rough skin all swelled out with yellow fat. 
Before that, there will be the pot of fur, says Gervaise, the soup, and just a small piece of boiled beef. It's always good. Then we must have something in the way of a stew. Tall Clemence suggested rabbit, but they were always having that. Everyone was sick of it. Gervaise wanted something more distinguished. Madame Petois, having spoken of stewed veal, they looked at one another with broad smiles. It was a real idea. Nothing would make a better impression than a veal stew. And after that, resumed Gervaise, we must have some other dish with a sauce. Mother Coupeau proposed fish, but the others made a grimace, as they banged down their irons. None of them liked fish. It was not a bit satisfying. And besides that, it was full of bones. Squint-eyed Gorgestine, having dared to observe that she liked skate, Clemence shut her mouth for her with a good sound clout. At length the mistress thought of stewed pig's back and potatoes, which restored the smiles to every countenance. Then Virginie entered like a puff of wind with a strange look on her face. "'You've come just at the right time!' exclaimed Gervaise. "'Mother Coupeau, do show her the bird!' And Mother Coupeau went a second time and fetched the goose, which Virginie had to take in her hands. She uttered no end of exclamations. By Jove, it was heavy! But soon laid it down on the work-table between a petticoat and a bundle of shirts. Her thoughts were elsewhere. She dragged Gervaise into the back room. "'I say, little one,' murmured she rapidly, "'I've come to warn you. You'll never guess who I just met at the corner of the street. Lantier, my dear!' He's hovering about on the watch, so I hastened here at once. It frightened me on your account, you know. The laundress turned quite pale. What could the wretched man want with her? Coming too like that, just in the midst of the preparation for the feast. She never had any luck. She could not even be allowed to enjoy herself quietly. But Virginie replied that she was very foolish to put herself out about it like that. Why, if Lantier dared to follow her about, all she had to do was call a policeman and have him locked up. In the months since her husband had been appointed a policeman, Virginie had assumed rather lordly manners and talked of arresting everybody. She began to raise her voice, saying that she wished some passer-by would pinch her bottom so that she could take the fresh fellow to the police station herself and turn him over to her husband. Gervaise signalled her to be quiet since the workwomen were listening and led the way back into the shop reopening the discussion about the dinner. "'Now, don't we need a vegetable? Why not peas with bacon?' said Virginie. "'I like nothing better.' "'Yes, peas with bacon,' the others approved. Augustine was so enthusiastic that she jabbed the poker into the stove harder than ever. By three o'clock on the morrow, Sunday, Mother Coupeau had lighted their two stoves, and also a third one of earthenware, which they had borrowed from the Bosch.' At half-past three, the pot of feu was boiling away in an enormous earthenware pot, lent by the eating-house keeper next door, the family pot having been found too small. They had decided to cook the veal and the pig's back the night before, since both of those dishes are better when reheated, but the cream sauce for the veal would not be prepared until just before sitting down for the feast. There was still plenty of work left for Monday, the soup, the peas with bacon, the roast goose, the inner room was lit by three fires. Butter was sizzling in the pans and emitting a sharp odor of burnt flour. Mother Coupeau and Gervaise, with white aprons tied on, were bustling all around, cleaning parsley, dashing for salt and pepper, turning the meat. They had sent Coupeau away so as to not have him underfoot, 
but they still had plenty of people looking in throughout the afternoon. The luscious smells from the kitchen had spread through the entire building, so that neighboring ladies came into the shop on various pretexts, very curious to see what was being cooked. Virginie put in an appearance towards five o'clock. She had again seen Lantier. Really, it was impossible to go down the street now without meeting him. Madame Bosch also had just caught sight of him standing at the corner of the pavement with his head thrust forward in an uncommonly sly manner. Then Gervaise, who had at that moment intended going for a sou's worth of burnt onions for the pot of fur, began to tremble from head to foot, and did not dare leave the house, the more so as the concierge and the dressmaker put her into a terrible fright by relating horrible stories of men waiting for women with knives and pistols hidden beneath their overcoats. Well, yes, one reads of such things every day in the newspapers. When one of those scoundrels gets his monkey up on discovering an old love leading a happy life, he becomes capable of everything. Virginie obligingly offered to run and fetch the burnt onions. Women should always help one another. They could not let that little thing be murdered. When she returned, she said that Lantier was no longer there. He had probably gone off on finding he was discovered. In spite of that thought, he was the subject of conversation around the saucepans until night-time. When Madame Bosch advised her to inform Coupeau, Gervaise became really terrified, and implored her not to say a word about it. Oh, yes, wouldn't that be a nice situation? Her husband must have become suspicious already, because for the last few days at night he would swear to himself and bang the wall with his fists. The mere thought that the two men might destroy each other because of her made her shudder. She knew that Coupeau was jealous enough to attack Lantier with his shears. While the four of them had been deep in contemplating this drama, the saucepans on the banked coals of the stove had been quietly simmering. When Mother Coupeau lifted the lids, the veal and the pig's back were discreetly bubbling. The pot au feu was steadily steaming with snore-like sounds. Eventually, each of them dipped a piece of bread into the soup to taste the bouillon. At length Monday arrived. Now that Gervaise was going to have fourteen persons at table, she began to fear that she would not be able to find room for them all. She decided that they should dine in the shop, and the first thing in the morning she took measurements so as to settle which way she would place the table. After that they had to remove all the clothes and take the ironing table to pieces. The top of this, laid on to some shorter trestles, was to be the dining table. But just in the midst of all this moving, a customer appeared and made a scene, because she had been waiting for her washing ever since the Friday. They were humbugging her. She would have her things at once. Then Gervaise tried to excuse herself, and lied boldly. It was not her fault. She was cleaning out her shop. The workman would not be there till the morrow, and she pacified her customer and got rid of her by promising to busy herself with her things at the earliest possible moment. Then, as soon as the woman had left, she showed her temper. Really, if you listened to all your customers, you'd never have time to eat. You could work yourself to death like a dog on a leash. Well, no matter who came in today, even if they offered one hundred thousand francs, she wouldn't touch an iron on this Monday, because it was her turn to enjoy herself. The entire morning was spent in completing the purchases. Three times Gervaise went out and returned laden like a mule. But just as she was going to order wine, 
she noticed that she had not sufficient money left. She could easily have got it on credit, only she could not be without money in the house, on account of the thousand little expenses that one is liable to forget. And Mother Coupeau and she had lamented together in the back room, as they reckoned that they required at least twenty francs. How could they obtain them, those four pieces of a hundred sous each? Mother Coupeau, who had at one time done the charring for a little actress of the Théâtre de Batignolles, was the first to suggest the pawn-shop. Gervaise laughed with relief. How stupid she was not to have thought of it! She quickly folded her black silk dress upon a towel, which she then pinned together. Then she hid the bundle under Mother Coupeau's apron, telling her to keep it very flat against her stomach, on account of the neighbours who had no need to know and she went and watched at the door to see that the old woman was not followed. But the latter had only gone as far as the charcoal dealer's when she called her back. Mama, mama! She made her return to the shop, and, taking her wedding ring off her finger, said, Here, put this with it. We should get all the more. When Mother Coupeau brought her twenty-five francs, she danced for joy. She would order an extra six bottles of wine, sealed wine, to drink with the roast. The Lorilleur would be crushed. For a fortnight past, it had been the Coupeau's dream to crush the Lorilleur. Was it not true that those sly ones, the man and his wife, a truly pretty couple, shut themselves up whenever they had anything nice to eat, as though they had stolen it? Yes, they covered up the windows with a blanket to hide the light, and made believe they were already asleep in bed. This stopped anyone from coming up, and so the Lorilleur could stuff everything down, just the two of them. They were even careful the next day not to throw the bones into the garbage, so that no one would know what they had eaten. Madame Lorilleur would walk to the end of the street to toss them into a sewer opening. One morning Gervais surprised her emptying a basket of oyster-shells there. All those penny-pinches were never open-handed, and all their mean contrivances came from their desire to appear to be poor. Well, we'd show them. We'd prove to them that we weren't mean. Gervaise would have laid her table in the street, had she been able to, just for the sake of inviting each passer-by. Money was not invented that it should be allowed to grow mouldy, was it? It is pretty when it shines all new in the sunshine. She resembled them so little now that on the days when she had twenty sous, she arranged things to let people think she had forty. Mother Coupeau and Gervaise talked of the Lorilleur whilst they laid the cloth about three o'clock. They had hung some big curtains at the windows, but it was very warm, and the door was left open, and the whole street passed in front of the little table. The two women did not place a decanter or a bottle or a salt cellar without trying to arrange them in such a way as to annoy the Lorilleur. They had arranged their seats so as to give them a full view of the superbly laid cloth, and they had reserved the best crockery for them, well knowing that the porcelain plates would create a great effect. "'No, no, Mama! cried Gervaise. "'Don't give them those napkins. I've two damask ones.' "'Ah, good!' murmured the old woman. "'That'll break their hearts, that's certain.' And they smiled to each other as they stood up on either side of that big white table on which the fourteen knives and forks, placed all round, caused them to swell with pride. It had the appearance of the altar of some chapel in the middle of the shop. Well, "'That's because they're so stingy themselves,' resumed Gervaise. You know they lied last month, when the woman went about everywhere, saying that she had lost a piece of gold chain, as she was taking the work home. The idea! There's no fear of her ever losing anything. It was simply a way of making themselves out very poor, 
and of not giving you your five francs. As yet I've only seen my five francs twice, said Mother Coupeau. I'll bet next month they'll concoct some other story. That explains why they cover their window up when they have a rabbit to eat. Don't you see? One would have the right to say to them, as you can afford a rabbit, you can certainly give five francs to your mother. Oh, they're just rotten. What would have become of you if I hadn't taken you to live with us? Mother Coupeau slowly shook her head. That day she was all against the Lorilleur, because of the great feast the Coupeau were giving. She loved cooking, the little gossiping round the saucepans, the place turned topsy-turvy by the revels of Saint's Day. Besides, she generally got on pretty well with Gervaise. On other days, when they played one another, as happens in all families, the old woman grumbled, saying she was wretchedly unfortunate in thus being at her daughter-in-law's mercy. In point of fact, she probably had some affection for Madame Lorilleur, who, after all, was her daughter. Ah, continued Gervaise, you wouldn't be so fat, would you, if you were living with them, and no coffee, no snuff, no little luxuries of any sort. Tell me, would they have given you two mattresses to your bed? No, that's very certain, replied Mother Coupeau. When they arrive, I shall place myself so as to have a good view of the door, to see the faces they'll make. End of first part of chapter 7 Recording by David Lazarus